Hey podcast, thank you for listening to Chasing Kangaroos, whether you're walking the dog, walking to work, on the bus, driving, whatever you're doing, trying to go to sleep, my voice does that sometimes, whatever you're doing, uh, thank you for having me in your ears. And this episode is a little bit different, so we're breaking from our traditional three topic format and it's a straight up interview. So tonight I've just had the pleasure of speaking to Mr. John Dutton. He's the Rugby League World Cup 2021 CEO, and we had plenty to talk about, including how his team expects to make this the biggest and best Rugby League World Cup in history. We dive deep into uh, the criteria around selection for the women's nations, including Brazil and how they got there. We talk a little bit about the emerging nations as well and what um, what advantages, disadvantages we have by playing that in June, July 2021. We talk about all sorts of things. There's so much uh, in this in this interview. I can't wait for you guys to listen to it. Hit me up on the socials if you enjoyed it or if you have any other questions. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 35 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. You're listening to Chasing Kangaroos, the rugby league podcast for fans who are passionate about seeing the game played in more places. Mr. John Dutton, welcome to the show, mate. Thank you very much, uh, Michael. My pleasure. Mate, uh, I've got a bunch of questions that I, that I want to ask you, and I know a lot of our listeners are super keen to find out um, plenty of what's going on in the journey towards 2021. But I'm going to start with a little bit of an icebreaker, and I call it the Marvel comic book origin story. So, can you, John, can you let our listeners know a little bit about where you've been and how you've gotten to where you are today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, I grew up uh, always wanting to be a professional rugby league player. Uh, I, I realised uh, probably around the age of 16, I was neither good enough nor brave enough. Uh, so <laughs> I uh, pursued a different um, career, uh, career in sport management. And uh, I, I think I'm into my 25th year in working in professional sports. So uh, certainly not a professional rugby league player, but um, um, it's, it's more than good enough for me. And obviously uh, now have the privilege of um, managing uh, the world's biggest team sporting tournaments in 2021. Mate, I, um, I figured it out at about 15 or 16 as well that I was never going to make it in the NRL and, uh, yeah, had to, <laughs> had to, had to pick a career. So it's good, to, it's good to have that understanding, I suppose. So that's awesome. Now you've been involved in, in the, uh, 2013 World Cups and 2017 World Cups as well. So you certainly know what you're doing. Um, and part of your job is to ensure that this one, is the biggest and best rugby league World Cup in history. Can you give us a little bit of an overview of the steps that are being taken to ensure the success? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think first of all, Michael, just a lot of learning from what we did in 13 here in the UK and then also yeah. being a part of, uh, of 17, two very different tournaments, massively different geographies. Um, we The journey for me on 2021 actually started way back in 2015 when we went to UK government 
knocked on the door and asked them to support us financially. And, and to put in context, in 2013, uh, they gave us just less than a million pounds sterling. And in 2021 for our tournament, that's risen to 25 million pounds sterling. So that shows Incredible. The, the, the difference in uh, our ambition. Um, we have to reach beyond a rugby league core community. We have to serve the rugby league audience uh, with world-class uh, international uh, rugby league, but we have to reach beyond that. Um, and the UK is synonymous. I, I think um, many people will fondly remember the Olympics and Paralympics in 2012. And then what, yep. what's happened in the UK since then in terms of securing major events and, and delivering them to a very high standard. Uh, there is an appetite. We've just seen with the Cricket World Cup, you know, a quite incredible final uh, at Lords, perhaps never to be repeated again in terms of uh, how um, unbelievable that finish was. Uh, but it was played out to a large terrestrial audience, to uh, a sold out crowd. And that's exactly what we want to do with our tournament in 2021. We want to make people, uh, wherever you are from all over the world, feel proud to be a, a rugby league um, fan and internationalist and to stage something that really is utterly compelling. I think that's fantastic. And certainly the Cricket World Cup, and I think was the Netball World Cup over there yeah. as well. They've both yeah. been great yeah. successes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we, we partnered up with Netball. We had a really interesting experience, obviously an indoor sport um, and, yep. um, and just a great experience. And it's about fan, it's about what listening to what people want. And, and, and for us, it's more than a game of rugby league. If we try to sell people a game of rugby league, uh, the rugby league core fans will, will absolutely want to come along. We've got 61 games. Let's not forget this is the biggest World Cup ever. Uh, three tournaments, yep. 32 teams, 21 venues, 61 games. So we know we're going to have to work really hard to make it about an experience and it is about an experience beyond what happens on the field of play uh, and as we uh, both know Michael what happens on the field of play will be pretty uh, fantastic uh, as well. Well definitely if 2017 was anything to go by we saw the emergence of Tonga and things like that and I think we're going to see the emergence of some other nations here in 2021 Jamaica for example I'm not sure if they'll do as well as Tonga but there's certainly going to be some excitement there in terms of like marketing activity, I know there's 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 going to be plenty that you guys are doing. Do you think tapping into those sort of Jamaican um, heritage sort of strongholds around the Northern England area is that is that something you guys are looking at seriously at the moment? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Uh, it's already part of our plan. I mean, we, we, we were delighted uh, that Jamaica have a berth um, in, in the World Cup the first time ever. Uh, we've already visited uh, Kingston, Jamaica. Uh, we took the trophy. Yeah, uh, we took the team I saw that. Uh, yeah. Um, and and we're, doing, um, we're doing the same in Nigeria um, later this year in October. Now, Nigeria will not play um, in the World Cup in 21, but there is a huge West African community in the UK that we believe we can reach out to um, during the tournament. So uh, from a marketing perspective and how we're going to approach our ticketing target uh, there isn't one uh, one single uh, way we are absolutely going to approach it in different ways engage with local communities Jamaica um, is just from a Caribbean perspective uh, a, a great opportunity um, and the colour and vibrancy I mean I was there in Auckland for that semi-final between uh, England and Tonga I, I will remember the rest, of, uh, rest of my life and, and, and yeah. if we can you know if we can replicate some of that feeling within the stadium around reach out to local communities um, you know we stand uh, the opportunity of delivering a really fantastic tournament. Can we dig a little bit deeper into some of the marketing activity that's going to be going on? Like, what do we? You've, you've mentioned you've got the twenty-five million to play with there. Uh, obviously, it's not all going towards marketing, but what are some of the things that you're doing to engage with local communities and to spread the word? And what are things you're going to be doing a little bit closer to the event? 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, to take quite a scientific approach. Uh, so a lot of this is about audience understanding. Um, we, yeah. we think about 60% of the audience will come from the Ribley core fan, the, the people that will go and watch the Challenge Cup final at Wembley this weekend. It's the 40% that we're really interested uh, in. So a lot of insight, a lot of understanding about what will pique their interest beyond um, the Rubleague um, match. Um, we are investing into digital, so we want to talk about the fan experience, so everything from how, our, how we will use Beacon technology, how we will link that to the app, how people can actively get involved. Everything we see at the moment, uh, particularly in the UK, is the expectations of customers like never before, and it's got to be digital first. Uh, we're staging an eSports Rubleague World Cup, the first one ever, and that very much with a, is with a view to engage with a younger community who wouldn't normally be interested in, in rugby league. Uh, so many, many different tactics. Um, our legacy program is really important to us. And that's about engaging with people in the local communities and using civic pride. So whether that's Warrington, St. Helens, Newcastle, getting the local community to take ownership and make sure at St. James's Park for the first game, there are 52,000 people inside the stadium because it's a big event, but also the local community feel like they are and have been a part of it. And we have uh, dance and choir and big public health programme. We are going way beyond rugby league. Um, and, and I feel the responsibility greatly that this isn't just a sporting tournament. It's much more than that. We have um, government funding, we have time, and we have a really big, significant domestic broadcast deal here in the UK where the BBC will cover every minute of every game live, which is, um, which is very, very significant for us. That is huge. And the eSports component, I've I heard about this, but I don't know too much about it. So who, who's taking part in that? How does that work? Yeah, we're, we're looking for some help at the moment. So we're looking to find <laughs> um, a, a, an agency uh, who will work with us to bring it to life in a proportionate way. Um, and a lot of people ask me the question, why are you doing it? And, and, and my answer is, is why not? Uh, I, I think it's the future trend of other major global sporting events. The, the IOC are looking very carefully at it. Um, and I've seen a number of events where they've tested Esports, but but we will deliver the esports rugby World Cup. Someone will lift up a trophy, um, and will be the um, be that champion. And and, and I think that's a um, it's an innovative way of uh, of really reaching out to a younger audience. That is very cool. I know. Growing up, I was always jealous that uh, EA Sports had had the FIFA uh, game every sort of sort of year, and uh, wish that rugby league had the similar sort of game that was as good. Maybe, maybe that's something we could be looking at after yeah, this World Cup. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe it won't be a regular game. Uh, you know, we've got to go into uh, esports, which is a global phenomenon, uh, with our eyes wide open. And, and maybe it's not about the game; it's about the community of uh, of gamers that play it. But we, we will definitely need some help with that, Michael. I love the thinking, though, um, and I love the focus on playing games in the heartlands as well. So there's plenty of these games or plenty of the matches for the World Cup will be played in Northern England, as we know. And I think it's a good way to give back to the people and, and reinvigorate those heartlands, which are doing it tough at, at times. But one thing that sort of bothered me when the venues were announced was that there's no game set for Wigan. Um, and I'm interested to find out why they missed the cut. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I mean, we have to go back to the uh, to the process. So, so we ran a competition and, and we did it for 
12 months, uh, we asked local authorities in the uh, in, in England um, to put the best foot forward, uh, to have some skin in the game and to invest into the tournament. And yep. we, we were absolutely blown away. We had 40, um, 40 expressions of interest from towns and cities in the uh, UK initially. And then we had to narrow that down to England wanting to be part of our tournament. So what that prompted was a competition. We had more um, bids than we could accept. Um, we've actually ended up with 21 venues, which which was more than we actually anticipated. And, and Wigan, Wigan were not um, on their own in, in um, missing out. Um, and the reason they missed out is we had a choice between Wigan and, and, and Bolton just down the road. Two stadia, very similar size. Um, and we'd already made a commitment that we wanted to go to Wigan uh, in the form of Lee and the Lee Sports Village. Um, yep. So it was just, we were in such a privileged position I know we're going to come on to talk about the, the, the women's and wheelchair entries in, in a similar way. The, the, the level of interest has been like never before, uh, and that's actually a privileged position to be in. So, uh, yes, people have missed out. Wigan will play a really active role and uh, are, are already doing so. Uh, it was just we won't stage a, a game in that uh, particular venue. Well, you did take the words out of my mouth. I think um, I was going to talk about the Women's World Cup at some stage as well, so why not do it now? And about a month ago, our listeners will know that eight nations were confirmed for the Women's World Cup in 2021. So they were England, of course, Australia, New Zealand, France, Papua New Guinea, the Cook Islands, Canada, and Brazil. Now, it must have been tough selecting only eight nations uh, for the Women's World Cup just because of how, I guess, competitive the women's rugby league scene has become in only the last six to 12 months. Could you explain for the listeners um, or dive deep into the criteria around how these eight nations were selected for the Women's World Cup. Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. And uh, I've commented on it um, several times and said what a really tough um, decision-making process it was. I, I think the first thing is, is, is let's just go back to 2013. Uh, in 2013, yeah. we ran what was called the Festival of World Cups and the women's tournament was a, an integral part of that. And the athletes from Australia and New Zealand paid their own way. The women stepped on a plane and paid the way to come to England. Go then uh, forward to 2017 and Andrew Hill and his team did a fantastic job with the women's tournament, uh, having it um, at Cronulla and, and staging the final uh, as part of the men's uh, double header uh, at the Suncorp Stadium. So, so actually the bar had been set really high in 2017, but there was only six teams uh, in 2017. So the thing that we did straight yep. away was say, look, we, we want a minimum of eight teams. We would have loved to have not had to make a lot of decisions because it should have been decided on the field of play. And I think it's just a snapshot in time about where women's international rugby league is. I I think if we would have jumped forward another 12 months, uh, first of all, we might have made some different decisions. But secondly, if there was a pre-qualification tournament, uh, we might have ended up with some different nations. And it's just it, it just shows that how quickly women's international rugby league has developed how there are many more nations playing than ever before. Um, so we had to put our hand up, um, talk to the International Federation, say we would run um, this expression of interest um, application process, which, which we did. In fairness, we started that way back um, last November. Um, we communicated to people and the criteria was threefold. One it was world ranking, uh, which was pretty straightforward. Uh, secondly, was about uh, growth and, and activity, development activity in the nation. And the third, was what we believe that they could bring to uh, to the tournament. So when we had the expressions for the women's tournament in particular, it, it was really, really hard. Uh, you have nations like Fiji and Italy who are well-documented that have, have missed out. Um, and yeah. uh, ultimately, ultimately came down to the world ranking and Fiji in particular, whereby they are doing some, Adrian Vowles is doing some great things. 
unfortunately, they've only played one ranking game. I know they went and won the um, the Pacific Games and the Nines tournament. And I dare say if that decision would have been in six or 12 months' time with the number of games that they will play, the world ranking would increase and we might have had a different decision. But I, I think in the heat of the moment, people were quite um, emotive and upset. Um, I think when we all reflect, first of all, there has to be qualification going forward. And I think that's something the International Federation absolutely agree with. Um, and secondly, it's a great thing that we've got so many women's nations uh, now playing competitively. And that wasn't the case in 2017. I, I think I agree. We could have had maybe 12 nations and people still wouldn't have been happy with that. Um, so there's always going to be people upset. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Eight nations is bigger than ever um, from a Women's World Cup perspective. And you mentioned... Um, you know, maybe a qualifying series would have would have been a better way to go in hindsight, understanding we didn't have too much time for that. But but was a qualifying series considered? Uh, if not, why not? And is it? And you kind of already answered this, but is it something that will be on the agenda for 2021? Do you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm 2025. Sorry, 25 is definitely on the agenda. I, I, I mean, yeah. we, we, we shouldn't yeah. forget. Ultimately, this this isn't um, a question for the tournament. It's a question for the International Federation. Uh, but but we're working yeah. with uh, the International Federation, uh, and I think, as I say, it was just that the decision had to be taken about how we would get our qualifiers because we one of the things that we asked for was all the qualification to be done by this year. Uh, as we'll, we yep. will see uh, in the men's tournament, so we can do our draw in November. And back to your question about marketing, to give ourselves every chance, we have to do things early, and we've done things early all the way through. Um, so the discussion was um, there wasn't going to be qualification. What was the best method? And we agreed the best method was predominantly on world ranking and the other criteria I've mentioned. Um, and could, could we have had more nations? Absolutely. Uh, one of the other things that needs to be considered is making sure that the women's tournament evolves into the same schedule and duration as the men's tournament. And, and I yep. think the key word is involvement. So we've already talked about 13 into 17, 17 into 21, and then you have to go 21 into 25. And ultimately, the women's tournament should be exactly the same as the men's. But there are some uh, commercial and financial um, considerations. Um, and I just think everyone involved, both from the International Federation and from the tournament, are working really hard to make sure that the women's tournament is like never before. It's a step up from 17. Will it be complete parity with the men's? It won't on, from a scheduling perspective. But that's something that has to be fixed going forward. Hey guys, it's me just interrupting the conversation with John to say thank you to the guys at Mascord Browns. If you're a regular listener of the show, you know that we have an exclusive 10% off discount code exclusive for Chasing Kangaroos listeners at mascordbrowns.com and mascordbrowns.com.au. That is Kangaroo Court, that's Kangaroo C-A-U-G-H-T, exclusive for you guys, mascordbrowns.com and mascordbrowns.com.au. Now back to the conversation with John, where I asked him what was so attractive about the bid from the Women's Brazilian Rugby League team for the 2021 World Cup. I think primarily um, having a, another region, so having a South American um, team, Brazil will be the first South American team in any uh, Rugby World Cup, I, th I think that's a great thing. Um, and then the rest of the criteria, we're actually going to Brazil uh, later this year, they're doing some great work um, around girls' development, um, they have 
obviously played rugby union. They played in the uh, the seven series, um, but they've made a firm commitment in a enormous country, uh, a country dominated by uh, soccer. Um, I just think it's a really exciting opportunity. They recently played against and beat Argentina um, and have a number of other games um, scheduled. Um, and I just think it's an opportunity. I think there are many opportunities internationally for the global game so that when we have conversations like this, we are not just talking about England, Australia and New Zealand. Uh, and I think the emergence of Tonga in 2017 in the men's tournament, it will be great to see the emergence of other nations in the wounds and wheelchair tournaments that makes it a global um, sporting event, that makes it more commercial, that opens up uh, broadcast opportunities um, and also adds some vibrancy and colour to uh, what's already a pretty special uh, event. I love it. And and for me, Brazil in the women's is as good as Jamaica in the men's. Like it just adds so much colour. You know, hearing a few Brazilian accents, I think will surprise some people in the after match um, interviews. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be very exciting. Yeah. Um, so that for the nations that missed out, and uh, this this is more still a women's rugby league question as well, could apply for the men's as well. So looking at your Fiji, Italy's and USA's in the women's, but have they applied for the Emerging Nations Championship coming up? Are you able to tell us uh, what, are you able to tell us, I guess, how many sort of numbers we've got there at the moment? Yeah, uh, I, the, the the application process um, that, that we're running uh, just just closed on Friday. Uh, I had a quick look yep. at that. I need to um, get a full report. Um, we, we we are uh, pleasantly surprised um, with the number of nations that have stepped forward and put their hand up. Uh, so uh, Fiji, um, Italy, uh, absolutely have expressed an interest. There's a whole process to go through, but but we're really excited by running a emerging women's uh, tournament in advance of, of the tournament um, in October, because I think, um, and, and you know, in the next few weeks when we're able to tell people uh, who the applicants are, that again, there are some new names, there are some names that people will sit up and think, gosh, uh, that's, that's really interesting. Um, and um, the makeup of the tournament, how many nations and what it looks like, that's still to be worked out. But I think we will run um, a really significant emerging women's tournament. Um, I think you'll see many continents represented. Um, and, and I think that's just fantastic for the game. That is awesome to hear. I don't suppose you can give us any clues or hints. No, we'll go through the proper uh, process, uh, Michael. I think, I, think <laughs> I think part of the challenge is, it's back to that 2013 um, challenge, you know, this will be participant pays, essentially, so people are going to have to fundraise and there'll obviously be of course. a commitment from uh, us and the International Federation. But, um, yeah, we just have to work that through. Uh, but people, you know, to have a life experience as much as um, play the sport um, I think it's pretty compelling and, and we will stage our tournament in Manchester and um, you know that, that's a pretty decent offer Manchester in summer in 2021 uh, to see a, fest, a true festival uh, of international rugby league is uh, sounds pretty good to me well it is something that I'm very excited about I know our listeners are as well we've been champion, championing on this show um, an emerging nations championship since the success of 2018. We're disappointed that it wasn't sort of in conjunction with the 2017 World Cup, but hey, it still worked and it went well. And we got to see nations like Turkey and yep. and um, and Malta yeah. Yeah. and and Poland really really play well. Um, now a handful of nations, including the, the champions who I've mentioned, Malta, they've expressed some concerns about the timing of the championship uh, and rather see it run in conjunction with the World Cup proper. Um, and you've touched on it briefly, but can you discuss with us why June-July timing was proposed instead of having the Emerging Nations on at the same time as the World Cup? 
Yeah, I, I, I mean, the, the Emerging Nations was never in our plan uh, at all. Uh, and yeah. in recent conversations with the International Federation, partly because of the number of applications for the Wins Tournament that, that we've had a, a conversation and said, yeah, we're very interested in helping you uh, run this. Uh, why summer and not um, October, November? October and November, we're staging three tournaments. We are staging three tournaments yeah. across 21 venues. We have 32 nations and 61 games. So that's like never before. And we, we, we have to have to focus on that to deliver success. So what that means is running something in summer. Appreciate that might not be uh, the best time for some teams with um, semi-professional, professional athletes. Um, it just gives us an opportunity to focus some dedicated time and resource and support to that uh, that we wouldn't be able to do when we come to October and November. Um, so yeah, it's just it's a practical, it's a resource consideration uh, rather than anything else. And and also not forgetting that we we will probably have some more inclement bad weather than uh, you faced in uh, Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea in 2017. <laughs> uh, I don't think we'll have the yep. heat, uh, monitor out uh, at our games uh, to assess uh, whether we need uh, additional water breaks. But but you know without being uh, flippant. We're using a lot of football stadia, a lot of Premier League football stadia, who are pretty precious yeah. about the surface, and and, and rightly so uh, when we will expect some pretty wet weather in October and November. So to secure Old Trafford and Anfield and St James's Park and, and the Emirates Stadium, the Emirates Arsenal, the first sport other than football to be played will be rugby league, um, is a real coup for us. Uh, what that means is we've got to really focus on uh, the three main tournaments in uh, October and November. Makes sense. And the only concern, I guess, is does does June, July mean, and does it concern you that June, July means that we won't get any uh, NRL talent on display for, for, or even Queensland Cup or New South Wales Cup for, for the Emerging Nations event? Or do you think it's more of an opportunity for some of the domestic players from some of these um, developing nations to really uh, hit the stage and show what they're capable of? Yeah, I, I, I think the latter. I think it's it's more of an opportunity. Uh, I have to say on the men's Emerging Nations tournament, I still think there's uh, quite a few discussions to be had. Um, you know, we, we might all agree that, it, that the best thing is to run it separately, run it in a different year, run it somewhere else. That That's still part of the discussion with the International Federation. Our, our absolute commitment Interesting. The, uh, is to run the women's uh, tournaments. But yeah, we, we want to make sure uh, that the teams can put out the best team I, you know I, I, I uh, whilst I, I didn't attend I, I followed uh, keenly the 2018 emerging uh, yeah. World Cup and, and Malta and the success story and it was it was fantastic um, and, I, and I guess there's just a bit a bit more thought to be given and discussion with the International Federation about what works best uh, both for the nations and also uh, promoting the growth of the international game okay so let me get this straight so the men's Emerging Nations Championship, there's a chance it could be 2022 instead. It, that, that's one of the considerations with the International Federation. The process okay. from here, Michael, is to report back, uh, tell the International Federation about the number of entrants that we've had, uh, and then to have a, a you know a really grown-up conversation about uh, exactly what I said, get, getting the best for uh, all parties. But yeah, from a, from a women's perspective, we will definitely, definitely run that tournament. From a men's perspective, we, we would very much welcome the opportunity to. Uh, we just have to work through the detail. Okay, very interesting, and I think it's good that um, I think it's good that it's flexible because, like you said, you want it to be the best possible uh, competition that it can be. And I think either way, it's uh, for me. I'm just excited that there's emerging nations 
championship happening for men and uh, either way. So I think that's really cool. Yeah, um, and, 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 and talk we, a little and, bit more. And yeah. Sorry, yeah, and, and we shouldn't forget, sorry. you know, it, it, it is a true festival. So Armed Forces students, we're looking at touch and tag. Uh, we're going to run a master's uh, aspect to it, physical disability, learning disability. It, it, this is, you know, every derivative of rugby league coming together uh, and giving the opportunity for players to put on the national shirt. And, and I think that's pretty special. And it just goes to show how big and inclusive this game can be as well. And you've touched on the wheelchair game as well. And we're seeing in the Wheelchair World Cup nations like Spain and Norway. So we're just, again, adding more colours, more flavours to this tournament. Um, Who do you expect to be? Because I haven't seen a lot of wheelchair rugby league, to be honest with you. I know France are the champions. Yeah. Um, I know Australia and New Zealand are probably going to be a little bit more serious this time around as well. What are we expecting from that tournament? And and who do you think is going to going to really surprise some people yeah well i had the privilege on saturday of, of attending the uh the, the uk uh, england's uh, challenge cup final wheelchair challenge cup final it, it, it's just fantastic it is a superb um sport um skillful uh, athletic uh, at times physical and brutal uh, and completely inclusive and, and the thing we're having some really interesting commercial conversations to to walk in to a brand and say this is an opportunity to see a great sport where men and women can play together, where abled and disabled athletes can play together. Um, and, and people at first don't really believe it. And then you you know pull out the video and show all of that athleticism and, and speed, the speed that the ball moves at. Um, and, and I watched that um, with my own eyes on Saturday and, and, and just cannot wait to showcase that uh, globally when 2021 comes round. Um, I think to answer your question, England... And France have traditionally been very strong and and will be. I think that Australia um, will put a really great team um, on the pitch. And we're really interested with Norway. Norway, the first ever Scandinavian team to play in any um, Rugby League World Cup. Uh, And also the USA. Um, So just great when you look across, when we've got the final list of 32 nations, you look across the different nations, each with their own stories. Uh, Again, it adds to the narrative about this being the biggest and best ever um, Rugby League World Cup. It's amazing. If if you were to tell me a few years ago that Jamaica, Brazil and Norway would all be participating in a World Cup, Rugby League World Cup in 2021. I know they're three separate World Cups, but it's insane to me. I think it's fantastic news for our game. It's certainly growing very quickly. And we, we, we are, hopefully, we can capitalise on these opportunities. Um, I just have a few more questions for you, John. So I want to know, I guess, a little bit more about the remaining qualifiers. Yeah. So what can we expect? We've got, obviously, USA Cook Islands coming up later this year. We'll have Italy, Ireland and Spain. Uh, fighting for two spots in Scotland, Russia, Greece, fighting for the other two spots. Is there anything, what, what can we expect from, from these guys and who do you think will go through or who do you expect to see uh, successful here? Uh, probably not the best place to uh, say who's going to who's going to go through. Uh, I, I, look, I, I think the, I think the European you know the glut of nations or four four more European nations uh, to come through. Yep. Uh, I think what it will deliver is is a new uh, nation uh, which we're again really excited about. Um, I, I think the USA Cook Islands. Um, you know, it, it's been a really interesting qualification process. Obviously, the game that the Cook Islands played against South Africa. Um, so who Whoever qualifies, it will add more 
vibrancy it will add more depth um and uh yeah it's it's not going to be long before we know those nations and what we what we will then do is we will do the draw uh all three draws um in late november um across the tournament so we will be able to talk about who australia men women wheelchair same for england same for france and so on will play and that will um, let us derive the schedule uh, that will lead into uh, ticket sales um, so all of a sudden in November once we've got the lineup and we've done the draw it becomes really tangible um, you know people can touch it um, and get excited by what's ahead in uh, in 21 I can't wait to see it and I can't really predict myself who's going to win some of these games I mean you always say Cook Islands it could go either way depending on which heritage players turn up I know Italy and Ireland uh, could could be there, but Spain could could be a surprise packet. When it comes to Scotland, Russia, and Greece, just no idea. It, it's just going to be so crazy. And I guess Greece um, have it tough. They've, they're going to be. We heard recently that they'll be taking their game against Scotland to a neutral venue. What, do you know much about this? What are your thoughts on this? We, we, our listeners would understand what's going on in Greece because we speak about we've spoken about it at length before. Yeah. Uh, but is there anything that's that you guys are you guys trying to i don't know if it's even your place to try and to try and help greece stage their game in athens but do you know really what's going on there yeah i i, I i'm abreast of what's going on i mean the first thing i'd say is it's incredibly disappointing um you know we yeah. absolutely support um greece rugby league and all of their endeavors to play uh the the game at home uh you know it's, i think it's a confusing um situation certainly to uh people who are close to it um, but yeah we, we, we hope that common sense prevails and ultimately Greece get the opportunity to play at home which they rightly should have I hope so as well man I'm very close to um, some of the guys over there in Greece and they've been working very hard and it would mean the world to them if they can get that that happening but I guess if they could qualify for the World Cup then that could be a huge step forward for them in that country yeah. as well yeah. John, I really appreciate yeah sorry no, no, I, 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 absolutely, and I think that it just goes for every nation. Um, Jamaica is a really good example. We hope that every nation that qualifies, all the nations that have, have missed out this time and, and will work towards 25, that they use this opportunity as the catalyst to talk to the government to increase the number of people playing the sport um, in their local community and, and, and use it to help them make them stronger. I agree, and mate, I know you've, um, I know you're a busy man, so I didn't want to take too much of your time. But I guess my final question for the night is. Uh, in terms of legacy, uh, what do you expect to achieve post World Cup? You know, will this tournament make a profit? Um, wh will it grow the game around the world? What, what what would be a success for you and your team yeah, once it's, it's all over? Yeah, success for us. We're really focused on ticket sales. We we, we have a uh, a number uh, that we are working towards. It's a number that's never been achieved before. Uh, if we deliver that number, we will um, certainly deliver our um, rights fee to the International Federation, which is which is the most significant ever. Uh, that money will then be used to invest to grow the game globally. So th this is really important. It's not just about us sat here in Manchester um, trying to be successful. It's about everyone um, supporting us because ultimately it will benefit the international game. We want new spectators. We want big broadcast audiences. We want to run a digital first uh, tournament uh, and we want people to use that as a springboard to develop international rugby league. I think that'll be fantastic and it certainly seems like everything's on the right track. I think the other thing that needs to happen is England probably need to win <laughs> at least the men's because uh, I think it'll just make make it interesting at the top uh, sure. yeah well that's for other people to uh, to say Michael we, we are ab absolutely strictly neutral <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> fantastic. Fantastic. Well, John, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hopefully we can speak uh, in the lead-up to the World Cup as well. Uh, but I wish you um, all the luck, all, all the success, mate. We're, we're all backing you. All the listeners of Chasing Kangaroos can't wait. And, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to it and really proud of the work that you guys are doing. My pleasure, Michael. Happy to uh, come on the podcast anytime. This episode of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast is brought to you by the Memorial Bears. And I have the founder, Josh Day, with me here today to explain a little bit about the Bears and uh, what they're all about. Are there any games coming up that the Bears are playing or tournaments that they're playing in? Yeah, mate. So, um, oh, it's been overwhelming. So we, we played a tournament at the start of the year. Um, one of the greatest and craziest days we've ever had. Like, it was actually at the home ground of um, another local team. And I've got photos on my phone of just in a sea of just red and black all throughout the crowd. You know, the biggest cheers all day long was when every time we'd score a trial when we ran out. So, yeah, that was a really good day, mate. And um, really trying to capitalise on that, you know, due to the awareness which we've created through papers and that up here. Um, so we've been um, asked to go over to the London Nines next year and also the Thailand Nines. So things like that um, something which we didn't really expect so soon, which is fantastic. Uh, but we are playing in some knockout tournaments in Dubbo and Wollongong uh, towards the back end of the year, which is fantastic. And, mate, through that, by spreading out like different areas around New South Wales, yeah, that's different areas we can get to, different schools, different businesses where we can um, chat about the disease. Um, and so, yeah, it's an ongoing process, mate. So we're looking to play around about six tournaments every year. Mate, you are doing an incredible job and um, I'm sure there are many, everyone's been touched by cancer in some way and, and bowel, bowel cancer in particular for many families and people as well. So congratulations on all that you're doing. Josh, how can our listeners help or get involved um, to help out? Yeah, thanks, mate. No, I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, if anyone gets it, wants to get in touch with us, um, all you need to do is just check us out on Instagram at Memorial Bears um, or Memorial Bears on Facebook. Um, mate, it's not just about creating awareness, but it's all about talking to people as well. And a lot of people have been through what our family has as well. And we've had a few messages and inboxes from different people who actually you know, have a family member going through it at the moment or have been through it. So talking is key. So feel free, anyone's out there, Inbox me, talk, mate, more than happy to. Well, guys, I hope you enjoyed that chat with myself and John Dutton. I certainly did. And if you're not excited about the lead up to the 2021 World Cup, then I don't know what can excite you. Yes, there are always things to complain about. Of course, there are. We're rugby league fans. We complain about everything. But if you don't think this is going to be the biggest and the best, then you got rocks in your head because it's going to be crazy. It's going to be fantastic. And I just can't wait. Uh, and looking forward to, to all of it. So fantastic work to all involved. Guys, it's Golden Point time, so let's get stuck in. There's plenty happening around the world, and let's start with Golden Point in the UK and the Edinburgh Eagles. Well, they're the very first non-English North East Men's Championship winners in history. They add another trophy to their cabinet this year. So the Scottish champions, they defeated English rivals, the Jarrow Vikings. It was 38-34. to 34 in a nail-biting golden point extra time finish. So fantastic work to our friends over at the Eagles. We love watching them do well for Scotland against these English sides. They're going to be uh, in the London Nines this weekend as well, so maybe it's another trophy to add to their cabinet for this year, but certainly great things happening over there for Edinburgh. Guys, golden point. Turkey. So Turkey have named their squad for the upcoming test match against Malta. It'll be held at uh, Cabramatta in Sydney South West on October 26. Uh, and there may be some NRL talent on display. So Canberra Raiders, halfback Aidan Caesar and forward Emre Gula, they'll be headlining the squad list. Uh, it's going to be really exciting to see if these guys play. That'll be fantastic. Malta might have a few, uh, hopefully some, some NRL players to name as well. 
well, let's watch this space. We'll see what happens. But if you're out there, Cabramatta, October 26th, and be sure to get some tickets and help support and grow the game back home in Malta and Turkey. Guys, Golden Point, Papua New Guinea. So it's semi-final time in the Digicel Cup. And after 18 regular rounds, the first place and second place sides, so the Lay Tigers and Wagi Tooms, they've got, they had the weekend off. Well, meanwhile, the top, the final four teams from that top six, they played off in an elimination semi-final doubleheader at Port Moresby last Sunday, August 18. So the Hello Wigman, 13, they knocked out the Rubble Gurriers, 13-4, to four, huge match. And then the Gorka side, they defeated the Mount Hagen Eagles, 22 points to four. So it'll be Hella and Gorka, they'll go through to the next round. They will actually face each other in Game 3 of the Finals, which will be another elimination match. While Lay and Wagi, the teams that came first and second, they'll battle in Game 4 for a spot in the Grand Final. Loser of that game will, of course, have another bite of the cherry when they play the winner of Game 3. Guys, Golden Point and a venue has been confirmed for the Italy v Malta clash on October 12. I'm really excited about this one. I'm going to try and get there. Organisers have agreed to terms with Camden... Uh, Camden City Council in Sydney South West. The Camden Rams are going to host this one. This is where James Tedesco played a lot of his junior rugby league. Uh, so it's the Harvey Shepherd Oval, Kirkham Park on October 12. It'll be Italy versus Malta. The Maltese Rugby League president, Jean-Pierre Saab, said that the Italians will no doubt have a lot of support there uh, on the day as they have that connection with their local hometown hero. But he's confident that... Uh, he, the Maltese um, connection will also be well represented. They're expecting some big-name players to put their hands up for this one, so it's going to be really exciting for both these sides. It is a full test match, so fully sanctioned. Going to be really exciting. Both uh, sides will also field junior heritage squads with under-16s and 18s matches held before the main event. And the Maltese Rugby League da uh, general manager, David Exisa, he also revealed that talks are continuing with the Federa Federazione Italiano Rugby League officials, Orazio Daro and Tiziano Francini, in relation to reaching mutual cooperation back in the home countries. So this includes, of course, and we spoke about it in episode 16 with Orazio, uh, a Maltese side potentially in the Italian-Sicilian conference. Uh, so really exciting stuff to see that the conversation is still happening. Obviously it hasn't happened yet, but guys, get out there, support it if you can. Funds raised will go a long way to helping assist domestic development back home, just like that Turkey-Malta match. It's actually really exciting at the moment to see I know it's all here in Sydney, but Turkey, Malta, uh, Italy are playing the Philippines, Italy are playing Malta. Kind of wish there was a bit of a round-robin tournament happening, but people will question, you know, of course these games are going to be, um, it's going to be mainly heritage players involved, but I guess you need to understand that the money that it would take to get players across to Europe or vice versa, um, it wouldn't just wouldn't be feasible. The whole point of these games is to, raise some credibility for these nations in the rugby league world, raise a little bit of money, which can go back to the domestic competitions as well. It's baby steps, but I think Italy, Malta, Turkey, and we mentioned the Philippines as well, can be congratulated for the work they're doing. And guys, get out there and support them because we're all hashtag growing the game together. Golden Point, so USA, and congratulations to Joe Eichner. He's the first American-born player in the Queensland Cup since Ian Blake, who played for the Toowoomba Clydesdales in 2004. Joe came off the bench for the Northern Pride in their 24-14 loss to the Burley Bears. And thanks to our regular listener, the King Finn, he uh, watched this game live and he sent me lots of photos and video and stuff. He said Joe made some solid tackles and he did not put a foot wrong. So hopefully we see him uh, finish off the season there at the Northern Pride. And you never know, maybe the North Queensland Cowboys will come knocking soon. Could we see an American in the NRL?
Golden Point over to the Philippines. So the North Luzon Hunter, they won back-to-back Estefa Elephant Cups, defeating the Manila Storm 24-6 in their grand final. It's the fourth season of the Filipino Championship, and they're getting bigger and better each year. Guys, Golden Point, and over to the Championship, and incredibly, there were identical score lines in the Toronto and Toulouse games last weekend. So the Wolfpack, 46, defeated the uh, Rochdale Hornets, nil, and Toulouse, 46, defeated the Batley Bulldogs, nil. So crazy score lines there. And uh, can we just include them both in Super League next year? Just let it happen. Just get them both there. Everyone wants it. Well, we do anyway. Guys, Golden Point, and speaking of Super League, some interesting results uh, last weekend. So Catalan Dragons, they went down to London 17-4, to which means that there's just two points separating the bottom five teams. And haven't London just... They just, they just do not... They just refuse to die. Uh, they don't want to get relegated. And... Doing, they're really surprising some people. They're still coming last, but they're equal on 18 points with about four other sides, so anything can happen. The bottom of the table is very competitive over in the Super League. And speaking of the bottom of the table, let's go back, go to the top. Wigan defeated Warrington 20-6. to Now, re- remarkably, Wigan were part of that relegation discussion earlier in the year. Now they're equal second on 30 points with Warrington and, and Hull FC, so they also had points stripped from them at the start of the year, so Mate, uh, it's pretty crazy, but look, I think if I was a betting man, I'd be saying St. Helens Wigan grand final this year. So crazy times, but Wigan, they always seem to come home strong. Guys, golden point over to South Africa. So the reformed Middleburg Rabbitohs, they'll kick off the 11th season of the South African Rugby League against the Whitbank Tigers. The competition will be made up of 14 teams and split into two conferences, so exciting stuff there. Guys, Golden Point over to Wales. So League One, the Welsh Derby happened last weekend. North Wales Crusaders, way too strong for the West Wales Raiders, 56-16. Guys, Nicaragua, Golden Point. So we've spoken about these guys in the past. Uh, Pretty much Rugby League has just been introduced over there, but already there are talks well underway for a four-team domestic competition. So as I understand it, and based on information I've been given, uh, it's four rugby union clubs who are looking to switch to rugby league uh, because they're just not impressed with the administration of the rugby union over there so i think there's about eight rugby union clubs playing in nicaragua from as i understand half those guys not happy this is how rugby league happened all over the world 100 years ago 100 plus years ago just happening uh, now in parts of south and central america it would seem Uh, golden point nrlw so uh, really excited to hear that two standalone matches have been scheduled for the for the NRLW this year. So round two, Warriors home game. And round three, the Dragons and the Roosters will face off at Leichhardt Oval. Um, I think it's great. I think we need to start to generate, or the women's game can really start to generate some funds for themselves, whether it be through ticketing, through sponsorship. And uh, I really just want, I really just want the professionalism of this game, the women's game to step up. I want these women to be paid well. I want them to have more... Um, more professional female players, more professional teams, and I think this is just the beginning, so exciting to see some standalone games there for the ladies. Uh, in the NRL, uh, i just got to mention it, Raiders 22, Melbourne 18. Melbourne were up 18-0. Uh, Raiders had a couple of players in the bin at certain stages, but they came back 22-18. to I've never been so excited about a non-St. George win. I think the Raiders were fantastic, and I mean, can they go all the way this season? Time will tell, but I'm definitely backing them. And guys, the final golden point uh, for the night. So still in the NRL, and uh, the news came in today that 2020 uh, expansion will still be on the agenda because we're going to be taking the Club Nines to Perth and we'll be taking Origin 1 to Adelaide. So NRL 
uh, still trying to push into these areas, which is fantastic. Baby steps maybe, but we're doing some great things. The Club Nines I'm excited about. I've heard people say, you know, it's a waste of time because the, the players already play enough games during the year. While I agree with that, I think it's a good opportunity. It's a good festival of rugby league, good opportunity to get out there to Perth again. And I just think, look, the best players don't all have to play in this Nines tournament. So some can if they like, but the guys that are involved uh, in in the All-Stars game, they don't have to take part if they don't want to. Um, not all the players have to. Not all the players are suited to Nines. Nines is a different style of rugby league um, to your typical 13 side. So maybe we can get some youngsters in there as well. But I think it's a good opportunity to get some legends in there. We saw Brad Fittler play for the Roosters in an Auckland Nines a couple of years ago. I know as a Dragons fan, I'd love to see like Matt Cooper or Mark Gasnia pull on the boots in a tournament like this. We've just got to use this opportunity to celebrate rugby league and showcase it to new areas such as Perth. And of course, Adelaide will be hosting Origin 1, which I think is fantastic as well. Again, people do complain. You know, it's New South Wales, Queensland's game. Why are we taking it elsewhere? But this is the absolute best product that we have as a rugby league family and we need to showcase it not only to Australia the rest of Australia but to the whole world as well so Adelaide fantastic Origin 1 uh, Origin 2 will be in Sydney and Origin 3 will be in Queensland in Brisbane so guys that's golden points for tonight I uh, hope you've enjoyed the show as always I need to say thank you to Ricky Cancino and Ash Barco for recording our theme music uh, still loving it so fantastic work guys thank you very much I will say please follow us on the socials Instagram Facebook and Twitter and if you're following us on Instagram we have a competition there to win a Memorial Bears pack so it includes a singlet polo and shorts I've got pictures up there on Instagram it's probably a few days old now the post so check it out uh, it's pretty easy to enter so go on there enter and you could be winning that pack i'll announce it on the show next week guys thank you for listening please remember to like share uh rate review tell your friends tell at least one friend about the show let's hashtag grow the game together and fuck you nagati